Hey, welcome to Pull the Thread Podcast. I'm your host, Crystal Douglas. I'm a celebrity tailor, a wild mustang tamer, and an entrepreneur. I managed to take a Brother Project Runway Home sewing machine and built a six-figure sewing business that supports a life I love, and I hop behind the mic to show you that you can do the same thing too. I am documenting all of my experiences in building my own little honey empire, complete with mess ups and mistakes and experiments and celebrations so that you can shortcut to success faster. So you ready? Let's dive into the episode. You may know the household name Nike, but do you know the name Bill Bowerman? Bill was an American high school track and field coach who fought in World War II. He joined the Army as a second lieutenant a couple days after the Pearl Harbor attack, and after being stationed in a couple different places, he ended up in Naples, Italy in December of 1944. Then he was promoted to commander, (laughs) and then he moved his troops north into the mountains of northern Italy and ended up negotiating a stand-down of German forces near the Brenner Pass in the days before the surrender of the entire German army in all of Italy. He was honorably discharged and awarded a silver and four bronze stars. After the war, he returned to his position, which was coaching track at Medford High School. And then he ended up back at University of Oregon coaching there. That was his alma mater. In his 24 years as a coach, he trained 31 Olympic athletes, 51 All-Americans, 12 American record holders, 22 NCAA champions, and 16 sub-four-minute milers. He also went on to coach the world record setting for the relay team in 1962. And as if all of this wasn't impressive enough, uh, he went into a handshake agreement with a guy named Phil Knight, whom he coached to go in on and start an athletic footwear distribution company called Blue Ribbon Sports. Now, Bowerman, he was using all of his student athletes as guinea pigs because he was customizing their shoes. Um, Infamously, the waffle iron style sole of a sneaker at Nike was after the waffle iron that Bowerman ruined that belonged to his wife. That's right. Blue Ribbon Sports became Nike. Now, Knight would manage the business, and then Bowerman would experiment with all the improvements in the athletic footwear design. So he decided to keep his coaching job at University of Oregon, and Knight operated the main office over in Portland. There was a phrase that became a running joke, and it was, if Coach Bowerman isn't happy, then Nike isn't happy. Bowerman is one of the most decorated names in track and sports hall of fames. Now, what I love about Bill Bowerman is actually not the part where he goes from being a decorated war hero to founding Nike. It's actually the part where after he's founded Nike, he goes back to coaching track. Like, does that not blow your mind? That's insane to me. Just knowing I know how busy I am in my business. Um, I couldn't imagine like going back and doing a different job that I used to do. Um, And yet, that's actually where the greatest superpower is in that story is he's staying in his lane and he's knowing exactly what he was best at. And he was best at engineering incredible shoes for athletes. When we start our businesses, we usually end up throwing a bazillion things at the wall and seeing what sticks. Um, And it comes across a little bit scattered and haptic and confusing for people that stumble across our brand. I think oftentimes, especially with young people, Um, young people, and I I sound so old in saying it that way, but like the Gen Zers, 
I have so much empathy and love for you if you're a Gen Z or listening because you guys are in such a race to prove yourselves <laughs> that you don't realize just how much time you have. All you have is time. Um, but I think the incredible part about Bill Bowerman's story and finding founding <laughs> Nike um, is is it not just about staying in his lane um, and delegating out the work that he knows he's not passionate about, um, but still maintaining his concern for actually pioneering a great product, not getting distracted in all of the flashy stuff, but the creating. And so that's what I want to use this episode to talk about. So this episode is all about if you are making less than 30 grand a year, with your craft. And obviously, if you're wanting to make more, hopefully that's why you're here. You're wanting to build this craft-based business or this fashion design, um, this line. You're wanting to make it more profitable and you want it to start paying the bills for you. Um, If you are making less than 30K on your own designs or your own creations, you are the exact person that this episode is for. So I want to focus on creation. Your number one priority at this stage in the game is to get more clients. I see you. I totally get you. But in order to make more money and get more clients, you have to reach more people. So most often when people are just starting out, especially in the creative and craft-based space, um, they say that they do everything and they will not niche down for anything. Um, And that's not really the way to go about it. Um, And so I have another little mini story for you um, in that, like, if I had to do it all over again, um, this is something that I would have done a little bit differently. Like, I'm grateful because it was sort of um, like trial by fire. I learned really quickly how not to do certain things because when I first started my business, um, my only goal was to just pull off the impossible feat of making enough to pay my bills. Like, if that's the step that you're in, whew. I feel it. I understand. My expectations were super low in my 20s. My overhead was very low. Um, I thought it always feels huge no matter where you're at in life. Um, but I had a ton of energy in my in my mid you know, to late 20s. I had a ton of energy. And so I was like willing to work in circles and circles. Um, and it's like, yeah, my main point here is like all you have is time. Okay. If you're making less than 30K a year on your craft-based work, I just want to encourage you and remind you, All you have is time. Nike did not even get founded until after Bill Bowerman helped literally defeat the Germans in Italy in World War II. Okay, so like you have time. Um, When I started, I would keep a little handwritten notebook about where I would write down every dollar that I made in every sewing project that I did. And I was super meticulous about documenting the money that I was making But I wasn't documenting the front end of where these people were coming from. And I really want to encourage you from the top of this podcast to go ahead and pull out a pen and paper and start writing down where your last 10 clients or customers came from. If you've done 10, like if you've only had two clients so far and you're just starting, write down exactly where they came from or write down where foot traffic on the internet is coming from. So I was super meticulous about writing about the money. I was not meticulous about writing out the rest of the process and it, I wasn't documenting the process of making. See, when you first start out, you really don't have a portfolio. And if you do, it probably sucks because it's everything that you learned in school or it's like random projects and like baby blankets that you made for friends' babies, right? (laughs) So you really don't have much to go on to prove to people that you know what you're doing. 
Um, so you kind of have to do it. Like you have to make stuff to build your portfolio and that's hard and expensive. Um, and rather than documenting or sorry, rather than creating random content, um, that is not really serving a purpose. Like you're trying to build awareness um, that you make things, right? Like let's say you're just publishing TikToks or Instagram posts of you making things, but it's not clear what you're making, how you're making it, um, or how good you are at making it. Um, you're kind of just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks, right? And that's exactly what I did in the beginning. I literally had no idea what I was doing and I would be making things and fixing things. Um, and I would like post Instagram when I would hem a bridesmaid's dress um, or I would um, show cutting out a pattern to something. Um, and so I was doing what I could. And then as you know, the more that you do, the more like the lights kind of flip on and you kind of learn how to go about it. Um, and so if you're super established, it's easy to post about your work. But when you're first getting started, you have nothing to share about. So you document you put all of the focus on documenting the problem that you're solving. And this goes for any craft-based or creative work. Just document. Whether, if let's say you're a new fashion designer and you are, um, you are about to launch a line and you're going through all of the troubleshooting, like it can take six to 12 months just to get a sample that's exactly as you want. And that really comes down to how specific you are on the front end, but also... I mean, you could have a supply chain issue and you have to start all over with a different fabric. Your pattern maker could retire. Like so many things could happen. And if you go from the top of the process of launching your line or um, from the top of the process of building your sewing business and you document every little thing that you just experienced, man, people come along with you on that journey and it is so impactful. So um, back to when I first did it, I started to get clarity in those steps. Like, oh, I should document things. Um, and so it wasn't until a blog post that I wrote went viral <laughs> that it hit me that what you focus on is what you create more of because I was documenting. Um, but see, the kind of documenting that I did was a little blog that was called How to Make a Bridesmaid's Dress Fit. See, I was smart enough to understand SEO, and I was like, okay, all right, well, that's exactly what people Google. They don't Google how to take it in or how to let it out. They Google how to make it fit, <laughs> um, and it went viral. Um, the problem is I'm not really a fan of bridesmaids' dresses. I don't like them, right? We've. I feel like I've shared that with you before, and so what I focused on posting about bridesmaids' dresses and sharing blogs, uh, blog posts about you know, how to make them fit I became the go-to resource on bridesmaids dresses and that wasn't fun for me. In fact, we get anywhere between 7,000 and 20,000 hits to that website per month just on that one blog. So the first step is going to take a little bit of humility, okay? Like if you're if you were earning less, this is a super vulnerable and actually this is a, a three-part series of podcasts. I'm going to give you guys three podcasts. The first one is under 30K. The second one, if you're earning between 30 and 85. And then the third podcast is if you're earning between 85, well, from 85 and up um, from your creative work or from your clothing lines. Um, and so this first podcast, it's a lot of humility, okay? <laughs> because you have to take a good hard look at the numbers and acknowledge your current status. And if your current status is you are bringing in under 35 a year, 30 a year, anywhere in that area, um, you have to acknowledge that you do not know what you are doing. 
Okay. I'm not saying you don't know what you're doing with your hands, like in, in your craft or in your designing. I'm saying with craft as a business, with clothing design as a business, if you are making less than that much, it's safe to say that you do not know what you are doing. So please take notes because I want to get you to this next level. I want you to be listening to this next podcast pretty soon after, at least within the year and acknowledging that you've already doubled your income. Okay. That's where we want you to be. So for this episode, current status, you're making less than 30K from your craft base or your clothing design work. Your main priority for the next six to 12 months needs to be creating content. You are not going to get anywhere if you don't go crazy on just creating content, okay? Because the way that we get more clients, we need notoriety. You have to have notoriety in order for people to know, like, and trust you. And some people are spending all of their time getting notoriety, but when it comes down to it, they have no freaking skills to back it up. The focus is on getting more clients, but they don't realize the focus should have been on showing people their attempt, showing people what they're learning, showing people what they can do. Because maybe the person that sees the content that you're posting doesn't need your skills, but maybe their friend does. Maybe it could be something as simple as hemming curtains, but I mean, I know people that make 65 grand a year hemming curtains. So, I mean, think about it. You know what I mean? Um, So your main focus needs to be gaining notoriety and your gaining notoriety has to be rooted in documenting the process, documenting the journey, not in showing people, look how awesome you are. Like, gosh, where do they come from? They're amazing. They're incredible right out of the gate. No, no one believes you. This is the internet. <laughs> you can't fake it till you make it anymore. Everybody sees you. Everybody saw that you made, like baked bread last week and this week it's this and next week you're going to be a stained glass maker. It's fine. Like if you're a millennial, we all have ADHD. That's okay. Just don't fake it. <laughs> don't pretend. So fresh out the gate. You're new. You don't know what you're doing. Document and be real about what you know and what you don't know. Be like, hey, I learned that I'm really good this week at doing this one thing. Follow along (laughs) to my journey of not sucking at sewing or not sucking at fashion design. This week, I'm going to be learning how to sketch croquis and I hired somebody off of Fiverr or I took a little, you know, online course (laughs) teaching me how to do it. And this was my really crappy first design. And this is my hundredth design, you know, share the journey, commit to the sucking, Because I think you'd be really, really surprised as how many people who are terrified to commit to sucking are following you along in your journey and they're actually secretly cheering you on because a lot of people are too scared to make that move. And then a lot of people are waiting for you to inspire them. So you could be holding other people back on and inspiring them for them to take those steps forward and start documenting their journey or going after their big goal, like what you have in doing more than 30K. So yeah, that's my main point here is you have to go crazy on creating content. So let's, let's take a peek at what that's got to look like for you. So for the next six to 12 months, let's break those six to 12 months down into actionable day-to-day steps on creating content for your business so that we can start generating a list of clients and not just any clients because goodness, not all of them are meant to be yours. Let's talk about generating a list of ideal clients with content that is just documenting what we're doing and our journey to to more than 30k. So step one, content creation, you're making less than 30k. I want you to write out, like I said, in the beginning, I want you to write out who your last 10 customers were. 
And if you don't have 10, write out as many as you can. Write them all out and write where they came from. And I want you to build a full little mental profile of who those people are in your head. You can write it out on paper and describe where they shop, what their aesthetic is, what's their Starbucks order, what do they drive. I want to know everything about this person. Like you have my permission to Instagram stalk these people because you need to understand who your actual ideal client is because you might actually, because I've, I've been there, you might actually have a stint of bad clients. And it's not that they're bad people. It's just that they're bad for you. You're not a good fit. They were meant to be somebody else's client, not yours, because somebody else could have been over the moon to have that client. And for you, it's just not a good fit for your schedule, um, your aesthetic, where you want to go as a business owner, all of that. So you want to get really, really clear about where these people are coming from, what their aesthetic is, if they were ideal or not ideal. Now that you have this list, look across each customer or client and see if any of them have anything in common. So let's say the ideal clients, they might've had something in common and the non-ideal clients, maybe they were all coming as referrals from a specific website. Get clear about where they're coming from and whether or not they fit who you are and who you want your company to be, what you want your company to be. And where you plan to go with it? Do they fit the price point? Did they bicker with you about like, were they negotiating with you? Um, Get super, super clear about whether or not they're the perfect fit for you. And then see if you can see any connections in between any of those clients. What do they have in common? Next step, what keeps these ideal customers up at night? Because you've already just figured out the non-ideal customers or clients, where they're coming from and what they're being drawn to. Just by simply looking at these factors, you're like, oh, I get it. Most of the time you you bust out laughing when you spot like similarities in between your non-ideal clients and you're like, I should have seen that coming. Because <laughs> now you see it on paper and now you're like, okay, well, I know what not to post about or I know, you know, whose calls not to answer. <laughs> Um, it's so funny how it looks that way when you put it out on paper, but when it comes to your ideal customers, you're now seeing what's probably making them tick. So think about what keeps them up at night. Bill Bowerman, his focus on building an incredible company like Nike was because he knew what was keeping him up at night because he was the client. He was the customer. He was the coach worried about the weight of the shoes. He was the the advocate for the runner, wanting to make sure that they were safe as they ran. He was the strategist when it came to the angle of the, you know, the position of the heel coming up off the pavement and what the optimum angle would be. He was already inside the mind of the ideal customer. And he was able to bring that data to Phil Knight and build Nike. <laughs> So you have to get inside of the mind of your ideal client if you want to create content that's irresistible to them. When you're first starting out, it's super intimidating and the imposter syndrome completely takes over because all you're thinking is, why would anyone want to hear from me about this? I don't even know what I'm doing, but I'm trying to make money from this. So I obviously have to look as if I know what I'm doing. And so I'm just going to keep on playing shopkeeper over here until someone believes me. But it just doesn't work that way. And if it does, it takes like 10 times the amount of time that it would if you just got a strategy in place. So 
Now that you know exactly who your ideal customer is, I want you to make a short list of three themes, three problems that you can solve for them. This is going to become what we call pillar content. So the primary pieces of content that you're going to create for your brand, and this is going to live somewhere on a platform that you yourself own. Okay. If, if, you are going to create content. I want it to be on a platform that you own and I want you to share the message. Just simply share what you've already created onto social media and I'm going to show you exactly how to do that. Um, so these three pillar pieces of content, consider them like, like the long form version of you fixing a problem or answering a question for a customer, for an ideal customer. Let me make this super practical for you. So, okay, if you own an Etsy store, we're just going to shoot from the hip here. So I'm sorry if this sucks. Um, if you own an Etsy store and you are selling small products. Ooh, I have an idea. You are selling handmade pinatas. <laughs> Sounds fun. Okay, so let's say you make hand, handmade pinatas for a living and you sell them. Okay, rather than constantly filling up TikTok videos and an Instagram feed, um, perfectly curated of these adorable little pinatas. It still sounds adorable. Ah, it sounds cute. But rather than hard selling, rather than saying, this is my product and I sell it and please buy one. How about you create a blog post that lives on your website um, that talks about decorating for specific kinds of parties, maybe the your favorite kind of pinata to make. Let's do an entire party supply list, like best decorations for this kind of party. Okay. All right, we're doing we're doing piñatas like llama piñatas and we're going to say that it's for an a quinceañera, right? So that's going to be my blog post. That's going to be one pillar piece of piece of content. It's going to be the best decorations for a quinceañera. You can get super super niche because next week it can be a different party, okay? And you're going to make one of your products the resource, but take it a step forward, a step further. And make it a blog post that teaches somebody how to throw the best party because that is truly a heart of service and that's what businesses aim to do. The one, the business that wins is the one that knows how to serve their customer the best. He who serves the best will win every time, okay? If you take nothing else away from this episode, just take away this one sentence, whoever serves best wins, so me just like shooting from the hip on this random idea about llama pinatas and quinceañeras, the point is create content on your website that, yeah, it's going to have your product on there, but focus more on how you can serve your ideal customer. Because your ideal customer, if you're selling llama pinatas on Etsy, is the woman who is really freaking busy and she doesn't have time to plan an entire party, but she wants to give her daughter the best party, the best quinceanera ever. And she is researching and she just wants to Google and she wants that blog to pop up. Because here's the thing. The back end on that piece of content is that if you wrote a 500-word blog post about throwing a quinceanera, Google is going to rank your blog which is tied to your Shopify or your Etsy or your website individually selling the product, it's going to rank it higher up in that algorithm because it's going to go, mm, it mentions this word and this phrase this many times on this exact same website and there are other pages in this website that I think are tied to the same topic. So I'm going to vote that this site is more credible overall in the rankings. I'm going to do a totally separate podcast just about how to make your website rank better 
um, later on. I promise. Let's let's call it episode 18. Right, write that down. Okay, episode 18. We're gonna do that for you guys. We're gonna tell you 10 tips. I'm gonna give you 10 tips on how to rank super freaking high in Google. Really easy doing basic stuff like this. Okay, so let's say your one piece of pillar content is gonna have all of these different key phrases and everything in it, um, and that that website, that blog is going to do so much heavy lifting for you. But here's the best part. And this is how we build a content strategy. This is how I build a content strategy. This is a lazy, busy girl content strategy because I already work enough. (laughs) I do. Um, (laughs) And so what we're going to do is we're going to take individual paragraphs that represent the key themes out of this blog and they're going to become our social media captions. And they're going to become our sales copy and our descriptions, because all of those things are going to be what motivates those ideal customers to know, like, and trust us. And they have to do those three things before they buy, because people are buying experiences. So whoever serves best wins. So if you provide the best experience on your website, and I'm not saying that you spent thousands of dollars on your website, hint, I spent zero dollars on mine. (laughs) I just dragged boxes around until I thought they were pretty. And then I hit publish. It's not about what you spent. It's about how you serve. It's about how you show up. So whoever shows up consistently and starts creating different pieces of content, core pieces of content, you don't have to create a new piece of content every day. You could, it'll definitely rank you higher faster, but you don't have to. You could work on three pillar pieces of content. Three pillar pieces of content geared towards those three problems that, that you want to solve for your ideal customer. And boom, you have a full-fledged website, a branded website that is speaking exactly to your ideal customer. And now all you've got to do is inspire and educate and entertain with the content that you pull off of those pillar pieces of content and share. And then after you've shared about that blog post this week and you've, you've posted photos that work with it and you've posted videos that uh, you're just reading that, that pillar piece of content to your TikTok and then you're grabbing out captions for the rest of social media, then in between that post and next week's post, all you've got to do is document your week. All you've got to do is show up consistently. Using this strategy will completely transform the amount of energy that you're able to bring to social media because so many people, when they're starting out, I mean, like I said, we're just throwing things at the wall and we don't know what we're doing. And it just comes across super haphazard and it's there, there's no strategy behind it. You're, you're just posting because you feel like, like, like the common thing that you hear from people starting businesses, I say, I know I should be posting. It's like, well, if you're saying it like that, then you probably shouldn't because it's just going to be haptic and not intentional. And the point of posting is to share what you're working with and to show that you can be trusted and to find people who have things in common with you because that's actually where the foundation of ideal clients come from. So if you're making under 30K from your craft-based business or from your designs, This is what you need to be putting all of your energy into. You now know exactly who your ideal customer is. And let's say you have no idea. Okay, so let's say you are starting from zero. So did Nike. You're starting from zero and you have no idea what you could even offer as far as pillar content goes. I want you to host the conversation instead. So you are now documenting everything that you're doing 
If you have nothing to say, host the conversation and invite people who do. And I think, I think this person in a lot of different communities, it doesn't matter what you do, I think this person gets overlooked a lot. Um, the person that hosts the conversation, the podcast host that only hosts interviews. I think that role gets overlooked a lot. Um, and I think that can often be like the black swan in a situation because I don't think that you should ever underestimate the facilitator of conversations. And this isn't to like seek power. It I'm just saying if you don't know what to talk about and you have no no skill yet in the thing that you're trying to learn how to do, host it. Host the conversation because I think that you would be really surprised as to what you could learn from the professionals who, I mean, if you ask 20 people who are great at what you do, you're going to get one to say yes to be on your podcast or you're going to get one to say yes to guest post on your site um, or you're going to get one who is willing to share the things that they have learned in this journey and then you're going to learn from that. And I think that that is absolutely an invaluable way to learn in the process while also drawing attention to what you're trying to do for a living. And then in the meantime, you document the process of making, document the process of becoming, because people are going to know, like, and trust you from watching you fall and get up and fall and get up. And there's something that I just recently read and I really love it. So I want to share it to close out this episode. Um, And that is that uh, walking is just coordinated falling. (laughs) So that's really what it is. It's it's just falling with coordination. So you got to get really, really confident in being okay with falling to learn how to walk. Look at it that way. And just remember, Nike started with zero sales too. So I hope you got something from this episode. I cannot wait to bring you the next episode. The next episode in this series is for all makers and designers who are earning between 30 and 85K. My reason being is because usually if you're already earning this amount, um, you most likely have already mastered a strategy of putting your work in front of lots of eyes. And uh, I want to share your next step to get you to the next level. So stay tuned for episode 16. Catch you next time on Pull the Thread.